You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, before we get going, I want to give you a word from our sponsor, Mac Weldon. I actually taped this episode from the road, and when I got there where I was going, I put on some underwear, and then I was like, wow, there's a hole in these underwear. So I put on another pair of underwear, and those also had a hole in them, and that was when I realized I was living in the past underwear-wise, and I wanted to bring my underwear game into the future. So I went to Mack Weldon. They've got smart design, premium fabrics, and the best part is a great, simple shopping experience. It feels so easy to restock your socks and underwear, which used to be a sort of a boring stocking stuffer, but they've now turned into a top-of-the-line gift. I really recommend checking it out. It makes a great present this holiday season. And the best part is if you go to MacWeldon.com, that's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, and put in long form as your promo code, you'll get 20% off. You'll also support the show. Thanks, MacWeldon. Our second sponsor is The Message from GE Podcast Theater and Panoply, one of my favorite podcast networks. Um, it's basically an eight-episode podcast series in which they follow the story of a team of cryptologists at a research think tank called Cypher as they try to decode a message received from outer space 70 years ago. It's really excellent. I recommend checking it out. I like this format, eight-episode series. The Message from GE Podcast Theater and Panoply. You can get it in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's move on. Hello and welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Aaron Lammer. I'm here with Evan Ratliff and Max Linsky. Hello. Hey, you guys. Hey, Aaron. I understand this is some kind of special episode. It's a special episode. Um, what makes it special? What makes it different than other episodes? Uh, this episode is coming to you direct from Miami Beach, Florida, uh, the Standard Hotel brought me down there to interview people at the Miami Book Fair, which they sponsored. This interview was my favorite one I did. Who it was, was it? Chip Kidd. Do you know who Chip Kidd is, Max? I, I do. Okay. I, I didn't before, but now I do. I and make, you actually call out in the interview how I make fun of you un, name, uninformed. Yeah. But, I don't, but not by name. Out of, out of respect. <laughs> you said one of my co-hosts. One of my co-hosts could be, could be anyone. One of my co-hosts didn't know who you are. The other one wrote a book that you designed. Could, totally, so, am, totally ambiguous. <laughs> if you hadn't given it away just now, they never would have known. Uh, Chip Kid is uh, the most 
well-known book designer, I think maybe ever. Um, he designs many books that are deep in our cultural memory. He also uh, has written a lot about design. He's written novels. He wrote uh, design, a TED book that's about um, designing book covers recently. He wrote um, sort of about first impressions, and he wrote a children's uh, graphic design book. He is all over the place doing really interesting things. Um, I was really psyched to get him on the show. It's uh, it's not it's not the, the the normal guest we have on, but I think it actually touches on a lot of stuff that's quite relevant. It also seemed like you guys were having a really good time. I had good rapport with him. He's uh, he's a he's a lovely man. It seemed like generally uh, Florida agreed with you. I it did agree with me. <laughs> I could I could spend a lot of time in Florida. Evan, I got this text from Aaron at one point when he was down there that just said, "Gotta say, I kind of dig Florida." <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't in Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, it's probably unfair to say that you uh, dig Florida entirely on the basis of spending three nights at the Standard Spa, which has <laughs> a world-class hammam and a pool where you can listen to the music underwater. Speaking um, of the Standard Hotel, what, who are our sponsors this week? Well, our sponsor, as always, is MailChimp. If you have a business that sends emails, you should be sending them with MailChimp. Eight million others already are. But in this specific episode's case, I want to send a double thank you out to the Standard Spa in Miami Beach. You can go to standardhotels.com to learn a bit more about them. Um, they have some stuff from the fair. It's cool. They actually run their website kind of like a magazine. They have interviews and... It's really well done. Um, and they also have hotels in New York, L.A., and Miami. If you don't have their app, One Night Standard, I recommend getting it. It has these spontaneous same-night stays at incredible rates. It's like a lightning deals thing where they just open up rooms and you can get a really great rate at a room that I can attest is much nicer than the room I live in. <laughs> All right. Well, here's Aaron with Chip Kid. Welcome, Chip Kid. Uh, We're here at the Miami Dade College. Um, you do so much work that usually when I open someone's Amazon page, I can I can tell what they're they're doing right now or what yeah. they're selling. And mm -hmm. yours is like shooting into nineteen different directions. So <laughs> just what, don't read any of the reviews. <laughs> what um, what brings you to this book fair? Well, officially, what brings me to the book fair this year is uh, a new book that I have out from Abrams called um, Only What's Necessary, Charles Schultz and the Art of Charles Schultz and Peanuts. But I had um, a book come out earlier this year in June called Judge This, which was done under the auspices of the TED conference yeah. folks um, who started a book imprint with Simon & Schuster. Uh, so two very, very different projects. So um, rewinding for, for people who may or may not be familiar with what you do, uh, right. I think many- And I always assume they're not. My general assumption would be that people are familiar with your work and not your name. That if you Correct. held up your, uh, your, your top 10, people would be like, oh, I have that. Right. And, but so I, it was funny. I brought up that I was doing this with my co- I have two co-hosts in the show, and one of them was said- Wait, who's Chip Kid? Yeah, and the exactly. other one said Chip Kid actually designed a book I did ten years ago. That's kind of my life. Like, yeah. there's there's a small niche of people in publishing who know who I am, and then there's basically every everybody else. But if I say Jurassic Park, yep. then they're like, "Oh, what did you do?" And I, well, I created that dinosaur image, and then they know that. 
Normally, I would use the qualify something with arguably, but I would say you are non-arguably the um, most uh, high-profile book designer, <laughs> <laughs> book book jacket designer of your at least of your era. I don't know if there was like uh, stars of different different book design eras, but yeah, it it is a very niche thing. Like yeah. I could say, you know, Paul Rand, yeah, who I think was a pretty high-profile designer in the 20th century and did some amazing book covers, but he did, you know. He did the logo for IBM, and he did the logo for Color Forms, and right. And I do some design that is not book related, but not much. Yeah, so. I'm interested because there's a there's been a a shift both at the magazine and book level in mm-hmm. the last uh, let's say 20 years that has been a massive upheaval, and people often on the show want to talk about it, but it's difficult to talk about because what books are from a perspective of the text has not changed a tremendous amount in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. The text is still X number of words. You can lay it out. And even with magazines, you know, if you look at an article from the 70s and you look at an article, you know, feature article now, they're fairly similar. The packaging and format has changed dramatically. So in some ways, you have been at the center of the biggest upheaval in how books are packaged uh, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so how has your i mean how has your job changed in 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 the last period well i you know in the last 10 years i've i get this question all the time and yeah. and just the way you phrase it how has my job changed not at all <laughs> okay? okay and and i feel very fortunate about this but but my job is to take a piece of text regardless of if it's you know fiction or yep. nonfiction or a biography or poetry, yep. and give it a face, basically. Give it, give it some kind of visual representation that will hopefully, you know, represent that text in, in a respectful and interesting way, but also intrigue a reader. Yeah. So in that sense, as long as I'm doing what I'm doing, that's not going to change. Whereas I mean, in the magazine world, we get into all of these factors that are going to make me sound like a snob. But, you know, magazines, by their very uh, nature, are ephemeral. So you may save a a certain issue of a magazine for some sort of reason, but you're not really meant to. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Or you may save it because you have a guilt feeling about not reading The New Yorker every week. Right. And I work primarily in hardcover books, Mm. physical hardcover books. And by their nature, you're supposed to save them. And so I think that's at least so far after 29 years, you know, I've managed to survive. Not not that things haven't changed, obviously, for book books, but really my job is the same, is is to create uh, a cover for this thing that that people will have. Um, Now, so far, I have designed one digital-only cover. So when you shrink down that design to the the Kindle or iPad postage stamp, Mm -hmm. the challenges of achieving the things that you're talking about for the reader seem to be upped. Okay. All right. So now I go into all my sound bites. Do you not want to? I'm curious. Is this just like something like, I actually was thinking when I was writing this question, 
probably he just doesn't want to talk about this anymore. I'll talk about it if you, you want to talk about it and if you think your audience wants to, we'll to do the, hear we'll about We'll do the quick talk because there's other stuff that I'm actually more interested in. But I think it's a question a lot of people have about the book, which is, is the is the book being diminished in this format? And do you still have this, you know, is this a design challenge or just a shitty format? <laughs> well, first of all, like if you if people want to buy a digital book, buy a digital book. Yeah, I'm not into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought I, Judge I, This as a digital book on the plane here. And the illustrations are not on the same thing as the page. Well, that's so you... what I, w- I was saying. Like, Judge This got, has all of six reviews on Amazon, and two of them are to the basically say, you know, I bought the digital version of this book, and it sucks. Yeah. And I, uh, I, t- I have not even seen it. I don't want to see it. Okay, I won't, um, I won't show you my phone. <laughs> don't show me your phone. Um, and when I signed a contract to do that book, part of it was... They were going to do an ebook of it. I understood that. They are TED, yep. Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And if they want to do an ebook, then they can do an ebook. But it, it's also now my understanding that it's a mess, yep. which, which doesn't surprise me. My two novels, uh, The Cheese Monkeys and The Learners, are very reliant on how they are set up typographically. And I have looked at those on the Kindle just, you know long enough before I, you know, felt I wanted to puke because they totally break down, break away. Even when I was in school, pre-computer, there's a reason that thumbnail sketches are called thumbnail sketches because they are small and they are distillations and they are supposed to be a simplification of the idea that you have. So that hasn't changed. Most graphic designers that I know sketch the stuff out small yeah one of the other things was i mean i'm not big on graphic design rules quote unquote but well i did a i did a graphic design book for kids that came about out about four years ago called go and and one of the things in there is if you have an image or a design that looks good really small then when you blow it up to actual size it's gonna be far more effective mm, interesting. okay so I've been mindful of how this stuff looks like as a postage stamp pretty much from the beginning. And part of that was also because way probably before you were born, there was something called the Book of the Month Club. And the Book of the Month Club used to buy a group ad on the back page of the New York Times book review every week where they showed as many of these goddamn books, all, you know, current bestsellers, postage stamp or sub-postage stamp size. And so... It wasn't like I was ever told to design with that in mind, but it was always interesting to see how one of my designs would be uh, reconfigured for this ad. And sometimes they would change it and, and take away some of the detail, or sometimes they would keep it. Hey, I'm going to pause things here for a quick word from our sponsor, Prudential. 
I'm kind of a procrastinator. Perhaps you also are a procrastinator. And every time you're putting something off, whether it's work or the gym or saving for retirement, I want you to remember that you are not lazy. Our brains are hardwired to procrastinate. And the sooner you get that wiring reset and start saving for retirement, the better off you'll be down the line. So if you can visit bringyourchallenges.com, you'll learn more about procrastination and other behaviors that get in the way of saving more for retirement. Prudential has a lot of great info that can help you get a financial future, which is secure. I recommend checking it out. Again, bringyourchallenges.com. Thanks, Prudential. Uh, next up, The Great Courses. People who listen to this show will know I am a great fan of The Great Courses and video learning in general. They have a new product out there that I think people are going to be very excited about. It's called The Great Courses Plus. It's an unlimited buffet of every class they offer. Science, history, cooking. You can learn the fundamentals of photography filmed in partnership with National Geographic. All of this stuff at a single price, but that single price for the first month is zero. That's right. You can get a free month of access to everything The Great Courses Plus has to offer. That's hundreds of courses. So I want you to go to The Great Courses Plus, P-L-U-S dot com slash long form. You'll get a free month and you'll be supporting the show. Thank you, The Great Courses Plus. Here I am back with Chip Kid. When you're dealing with like fiction, you know, someone's created a world and they're asking you to create a jacket to mm -hmm. that world. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with nonfiction, someone is already working within a certain constriction of fact. Mm -hmm. And then you're being asked to do a cover. Mm -hmm. Do you regard doing a, a nonfiction cover differently? Has anyone ever said, hey, this cover is not factually accurate to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, God, that's interesting. I mean, the a current thing that has been approved but won't be out until the spring is um, a book by Larry Wright, Lawrence Wright, on terrorism. Check out his long-form podcast. He's amazing. I interviewed him at uh, South by Southwest this year. He's fantastic. I did the cover of The Looming Tower. and Oh, uh, you did that cover? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a, great, that's a great cover. But the new book, The Terror Years, to me the obvious thing would be to, to do a, a close-up of... of and this sounds horrible, but of this guy, black hood, you know, slit for the eye uh, from one of these horrible video, you know, like beheading videos. Sure. Um, that specific thing, really, I couldn't find that it had been done the way I thought I would do it. So then I, you know, I did the design and there's this kind of hierarchy um, approval thing I worked through his editor, a woman named Ann Close, who I've worked with forever. And so I show it to her, and then I show it to the editor-in-chief, and if they see fit, then they send it to him. Mm. And basically, the consensus was, it's too scary. Was there an issue there, I'm just curious, like about using an image of an actual terrorist versus stock art of someone well, in you that know, costume that's or a, a really drawing. really good question because i did a lot of research and there's a lot of stock images of people who are dressed as terrorists who clearly are models Hall dressed halloween as, costumes gone horribly wrong or whatever but it's just it's just obvious yeah because terrorism and terrorists by their very nature are not going to sit in a photo studio with perfect lighting. Yeah. You know, it's not that they don't want their image out there in a certain way, but it's not 
that way. If you just gave someone a bunch of photos, they would pick a news photo. They would pick something that had that, right. that grit and texture. But I'm thinking, particularly in a nonfiction book, at that at that point you have to say, hey, that's Jihadi John on the cover. Like, that's right. that's a real terrorist. Right. That, this exactly. is a news photo. Exactly. So how, so how do you deal with that? Is it Well, then you go back to the, the drawing board. and it, Because you also need something, and this is very sort of like broad term and broad explanation, but you need something that's going to make, quote, a good cover. Sure. Um, Which, in my mind, means certain formal considerations. There are all these photos of, you know, the results of terrorism or or uh, but they don't make for a compelling, gee, I want to read that image. Then I found an image of a training camp where the the there were it was like looking down two columns of of armed figures with hoods and what have you and uh this was a real ISIS training camp and so you know, like formally it was interesting because you're looking down these column these two columns and they're they're sort of coming at you but they're not aiming their guns at your face they're training um, which is very clear. So everybody seemed to like that. And then Larry crowdsourced it and someone wrote, "You well, this has been used before on another book. Ooh. Which I was not able to find, but somebody in the crowdsourcing found it. And so then I had to go back to the um, the drawing board again. Are you generally against the, the idea of crowdsourcing and design. Oh, fuck yes. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, hey, this is a podcast. Yeah, Do that's what twice. I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, but fuck crowdsourcing. Yeah. But more to the point, fuck focus testing. One of the great things about the fact that there is no money in book publishing, unless you're Stephen King or something, uh, is that we don't. We can't afford to folk do focus testing. Um, <laughs> a certain chicken and the egg factor there, where it's right. like maybe you'd, maybe we'd have the money if we like did more. <laughs> but no, nothing good comes of that. I mean, it's yeah. one thing for him to find out. You know what? This was used on another book about terrorism, and it's a significant enough book, at least in his mind, that we needed to do something different. Yeah, I totally get that. I understand it. Um, as opposed to I showed it to my wife and she didn't like it, you know, which is like, gee. Is part of that exchange that when you ask someone for their opinion of something, that's a totally different thing than the subconscious first impression when you're in a bookstore or you're hearing about a book? I mean, are people kind of unable to articulate their true view of a design? It all depends on who they are. I mean, sometimes some can and some can't. Um, But one of my favorite things to say uh, is the really, really great writers just let me do my job. And uh, and then there there are the other writers. Haruki Murakami just lets me do basically lets me do whatever I want, which is not to say that I'm not mindful of of his opinion and mm-hmm. and respect it. But it's just it's just worked out that way. Yeah. When the situation is reversed and you are writing the book, you're mm-hmm. the author mm-hmm. instead of the design. Do you design all of your of your own books, or do you bring in other people to do it? Well, I des I design them all, but I often bring it. Well, like with the novels, 
like with the Cheese Monkeys, I brought in Chris Ware. Mm. Um, with the Learners, I brought in Charles Burns and Chris Ware. But it's me sort of orchestrating the whole thing. Oh, like I need you've got kind of a dream team. That it's easy yeah. to let other people go when you've got a Charles Burns and a Chris Ware. Well, but also I was very specific about what I wanted. Yeah. Um, you know, I I for Charles Burns, it's like, well, I sort of need it's me, you know, it's extreme close up. You know, from from nose up through, you know, and my I have to look really surprised and upset and sweating. The cover of um, the collected black hole is one of my favorite. Uh, his the way he did that, beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah, he's incredible. So the reason I was asking you is this idea of a, a third party coming in and being part of your art, sort of without uh, without necessarily true collaboration but just kind of a trust me thing are you like are you able to do that when you're when you're the artist are you allow are you able to um defer to someone else's vision in that way that hasn't really happened much you just I, you just don't put yourself in that situation well the it happens when they go to a foreign edition and i'm simply not consulted and the foreign edition comes out, and it's like, well, gee, that's interesting. All, uh, almost all British editions of books look to me like they're like made in some weird cheap like factory where someone has to do twenty covers a day. Have you seen those uh, Elena Ferrante books? The British editions you know, of them. I get, I have gotten asked. I think I'd say over the last three or four months, I get. Well, this maybe this doesn't sound like much, but it's interesting. I get like an inquiry from the media, once or twice a month to talk about the Ferrantes. Really? Yes. I have no opinion other than I haven't read any of the books. Yeah. So I can't speak about it that way. I I look at these covers and I just think, well, they kind of look shitty to me, but I think they're going down as like the most inappropriate book covers ever. They must be because I like I said, I I get asked about this a lot, and I, for the most part, I just say, you know what, I'm just I don't have anything to say. Uh, all I can say is, and I haven't even said this, um, just literally at face value, it, I would never think that this was a serious writer, right? There's one thing which is reading the book and conveying something of the text and the mm -hmm. story or the ideas in it. And then there's these other sort of cultural ideas. Who's a serious writer and who's not a serious writer? Is this higher, lowbrow? What section of the bookstore does this get filed in? Mm -hmm. How do you how do you deal with those kind of concerns? I either don't deal with them at all or deal with them subconsciously. Mm. I really try to give the potential reader as much credit as possible, if that makes any sense at no, all. No, no. I mean, that, and that's that's sort of a dying concept of um, giving people <laughs> credit for more rather. I mean, that's sort of a, some of the stuff we're talking about functional design, mm -hmm. too. It's a question of how much credit you're giving a stranger. Is it a little bit more than average or a lot less than average? Right. Well, I think... I think Steve Jobs was probably a, a great believer in that, that when you look at the the iPod, um, even the, the very first one, you know, it's all about intuition. Mm -hmm. You know, there, it's it wasn't like any music playing device that you had ever seen. And you just kind of had to figure it out. You know, yeah. you spin your thumb around the wheel and scroll through stuff. Oh, OK. Now, sometimes that can get, you know, very frustrating. But, you know, w w 
I think I put it in my kids' book, like one of the single worst pieces of, of design that exists and has existed for, I don't know, since basic cable uh, that we deal with every day is, is the, the, the TV remote. And if you have, you know, if you have a certain kind of TV and then you have a certain cable thing, you probably have two remotes. Or at, at least, least two to figure yeah. it's it's maddening it's yeah. it's it's incredible that people are willing to settle for that but they want to watch their show so they figure out but just figuring out how to turn on the television i mean it's <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous so so I, when you entered this industry did you did you say i want to be a book designer no. or i want to be a designer and hey here there seems to be a job available as correct books. second uh, okay <laughs> what like, what other kinds of like what were the other things you might have ended up doing well, at that I'd, juncture uh well at the time i studied and majored in graphic design at penn state university from 1982 to 1986 so that really was the last era before computers mm point being you know it was a multidisciplinary field there was corporate identity posters album covers um so we you know we studied all these different things that graphic designers do and and make and and books were one of them which i particularly loved but i didn't basically my overall goal was to graduate go to new york and get a job doing graphic design. Beyond that, I was I had a completely open mind. And the the first substantial job I was offered was as assistant to the art director at Alfred A. Knopf, and I thought, all right, let's give this a shot. So when you when you see a, a person kind of where you were in, in 1982 to 1986, trying to become a designer, the set of possibilities has changed a lot. It's not LP covers now it's um, apps and, and web design right, and stuff right. like that. What, what do you what do you say to someone like that? I mean, in, in a very quickly evolving um, industry. Good luck. <laughs> As, you know, it's I I get this all the time, and again, mostly inquiries over over email. Uh, lots of students wanting advice, but. Um, it's very hard for me to like part of doing that basic design book for kids is so that I don't have to <laughs> I don't have to like talk about it or articulate it or what it's like here here here's this book yeah read this book and then you just go and and and, you, <laughs> and good luck to you uh, but also it's such a different world than when I was. Uh, when I was a design student, um, I have no interest in designing for the web. I have no interest yeah. in designing an app. Yeah. So, in in a lot of ways, I don't quite know what to tell them. I mean, th uh, that I think was part of the impetus of the judge this book about is what you're doing clear to your audience. Um. And so the, the clarity is important for all this stuff that we really, really need. How do I navigate this website? How do I, how do I operate my TV remote? My computer's not 
working correctly? What am I, how do I fix that? And yet, in terms of my work, I'm much more interested in the mystery stuff. Having done now, I'm guessing, over 1,000 book covers, do you, have a, do you have an exact count? I don't have an exact count. That's a shame. You can just, just make up a number now. And start I've been saying 1,200 for years. Having done over 1,200 book covers as of 2003 and not counting since right. then, um, that sense of mystery, I'm wondering how it operates within repetition. Um, mystery within your own work and, and doing things that are new and not feeling like you've gotten into a, a cycle. Um, how do you, how, how do you keep it fresh? And do you consider your, every other book cover you've ever done when, when you're doing book covers? I try not to rip myself off or, or other people or what have you, but, yeah. um, I try to remain philosophical about it to, in terms of, if the writers are keeping it fresh, then I'll be able to keep it fresh. And that's an issue for a writer, too. You know, it's, as people go is. through book after book, not just, you know, am I writing about the same thing, but am I repeating the same formula of how I come up with ideas? Right. Do you switch up how how you formulate ideas ever? Do you ever feel like you have to change the way that you work in order to produce different kinds of work? Uh, I rely a lot on the subconscious. Mm which I think is really important. As in, you know, you have this particular assignment, you're stuck, you don't know what to do. So, you, And that's the other sort of luxury in book publishing is that you our, our, uh, our deadlines aren't, say, if you're working for a magazine. Mm. Do you have techniques for accessing your own subconscious? I mean, you know, I've been in situations where I've been like, yeah, I just need to th use my subconscious. Come on, subconscious, go! Like, no, no, no. That's why it's called the subconscious. <laughs> no, it, it started doing its own thing. I mean, I, when I was I was totally stuck on uh, Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim by David Sedaris, and I had done a bunch of different things, and, and some of which I thought were okay, but none of which were approved, and then I was researching something else and came upon this naked Barbie doll. It's like, oh, okay. You know, you have to, it's one of the lux luxuries, I guess, or responsibilities of working on like 10 things at once is that if you're stuck on one and you're researching something else, you may find the answer to the other thing while looking for the one, the one thing. How do you, when you've got this, this subconscious running and you kind of have a clear idea of where your subconscious is going and then you meet someone else who's, the book is from their subconscious. Mm -hmm. Your two subconsciouses are kind of meeting for the first time. How do you try to sync up with another artist who has their ideas? Well, well like what are those negotiations like and what have you learned over time about them? Well, it all, I mean, it all depends. I mean, the, the curious thing about, doing a book cover is that you're creating a piece of art basically but is which is in service to a greater piece of art which is really dictating what you're going to do so it's you know i may think i came up with the greatest design in the world but if the author doesn't like it and doesn't think it works for what they did they win um and i've got to i've got to start over and which is ironic because you're probably the most powerful um, book 
cover designer going right it's now. It's perceived even, that way. Which even just, you have to just kind of let it go. me. Yeah. I get stuff rejected left and right. And how do you decide what you're gonna like? What you're gonna do? How do you decide which covers you're gonna do? Which covers you're not gonna do? Well, I'm on. I mean, I've been on staff at Knopf for twenty years, twenty nine years and counting. Yeah. So there are certain authors who I develop working relationships with so it's assumed that when they come up when they have another book in the pipeline that I will work on it and Murakami is probably the current best example I've been doing his jackets for 20 years he's got it so his next book which will be out next fall is a conversation between him and Seiji Ozawa about music so it sounds great it, it's basically and I, you know I again like my subconscious I'm trying to figure out like how am I like, what is the hook here? I mean, I can see in my mind what it, what it would, quote, normally look like. And I'm yeah. trying to think if I can bring some kind of interesting approach to it. And I don't know if I can. The Murakami is interesting because on his fiction, you've just, you've gone everywhere. Correct. With the fiction on the nonfiction is somewhat literal. The running right, book is right. a, has a man running on the cover of it. The underground book. I well, think it has, has him running. Has him running. The underground book, I think, has the uh, Tokyo subway map on the right. cover of it. So do you, do you see taking a direction like that? Like when you, when, when you, when someone's coming in, oh, it's a conversation. Okay. This is not the fantastical Murakami. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to look. So, I officially got this assignment, say, a week, a week and a half ago, and I'll have to come up with a design shortly after the first of the year, I would say. You know, there's the obvious thing. We put a picture of, of each of them. I don't know if there's a picture of the two of them, but, you know, or a picture of each of them. And, you know, so am I? do I just be really straightforward with this? Or to, do I try and give it some sort of, conceptual spin i don't know uh, but i also haven't read it yet that, that might help right exactly <laughs> last question mm -hmm. um you've done this for 29 years mm -hmm. you've got many years ahead of you i hope so what do you what do you hope to achieve going forward from here on out in a lot of ways i'm just kind of making it up as i go along i'd say around the year 2000 where i was able to grow my role in addition to the book covers, to being an acquiring editor of graphic novels, comic books. And then beyond that, started writing books my, myself. So I always like to have at least one or two, quote, personal projects that I'm working on in addition to, to the other stuff. And I just I would just like to continue on with that. You know, the Peanuts book is the, is the most recent one. Thank you, Chip Kidd. All right. Thank you. And that was the Longform Podcast. Uh, thanks to my co-hosts, Max Linsky and Evan Ratliff. Thanks to Chip Kidd, who came in uh, just off a flight. Uh, he's got great, great-looking luggage, in case anyone is curious. Really nice luggage. Uh, thanks to our editor, Jenna Weiss-Berman. Thanks to our intern, Molly Bain. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, of course, MailChimp, as always, and The Standard, who brought me down for this interview. You can go to standardhotels.com, which is more of a magazine than a website for a hotel, and also get their app, One Night Standard, which has these great like limited-time deals where you can pick up a room way below the advertised rate. Um, the Standard actually sponsored another episode, which we're going to put up Friday. That's a conversation with Alexander Hamon. Highly recommend that. Check back in a couple days for that. We'll be back then. Thanks. Thanks.